0: There's already been enough reference, not enough, but a, a number of references to thanksgiving. We've entitled today's message, Love Even As I Have Loved You. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, In everything, and I wonder if that's the way we usually do it, but in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you. The will of God is for us, us to be giving thanks in everything not just in the good things that come along and certainly at this time of year we should be thankful for many common things such as health and family, friends, country the freedom that we have in this country, local assembly we also ought to be thankful for the trials that come into our life we usually are not thankful for those but we need to be reminded of the fact that it is through trials that we grow, it is through trials that we Gain in our knowledge of Christ and we understand and are strengthened even in our spiritual walk. And so it's good to rejoice in those things. But primarily we should be rejoicing and being thankful for eternal things. The love of Jesus Christ that he's had for us. May we never forget so great salvation. It's so easy to take that for granted the longer you've been saved. But our understanding of the love of Christ I think is going to be amplified, I hope, today. Today as we look at this text, and we ought to be grateful for it. And I just want to challenge us on the area of thanksgiving for one second to help us to realize that it should be continual, ongoing, not just at this time of the year. The world at this time of the year will be caused to give thanks for a number of things, and that's good, and hopefully through that God can, in His grace, open up some understanding to help them to look to God. But we ought to have that continually, For it is the will of God for us. Well, as we come to our text this morning, we have just come off a command in verse 34. If you look at verse 34 for a second. And and then it was amplified again in verse 35. But in verse 34 it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. This was our text last week. Even as I have loved you. The Lord Jesus Christ commanded his disciples or his apostles to do this <clears throat> pardon me. after, number one, demonstrating that love in chapter 13 verses 1 through 20 when he washed the disciples' feet. They were given a visual aid for them to witness before he gave the command. And then he gave the command. Secondly, we saw that he also dismissed, he exposed and then dismissed the betrayer Judas Iscariot, that had to be done because his apostles would be carrying on the teaching which became foundational for the church of Jesus Christ. And Judas was not going to be a part of that. And so he had to be exposed and he was dismissed. And he even did that in a very loving way, even with Judas, uh, which is absolutely amazing. I don't think we would take that approach with many that come our way. And then he gave instruction in verses 31 through 33 of his going away. That he, the Messiah, that he, the one who they have been with for three years, three and a half years, being ministered to, having the benefit of touching, hearing, being with, seeing visually the demonstrations of God's miraculous work, being taught the foundational things in relationship to salvation, and he now says, I'm going to leave. And it was devastating. And after that, he gave them what I called last week their marching orders. He gave them their instructions, again in verse 34 and then in verse 35, when he told them that they were to love him and they were to love one another, excuse me, as he had loved them. Now we know that's a self-sacrificing love, it's self-sacrificial. We know that. These are terms that we put around and use. It is a decision that we must make every day. It is unconditional. That's another term that we hear from Christians. It's love is really an unconditional love and it is. It ought not to be based on the way other people treat us. We should love them anyway. That is true. And we did see last week that it involves both truth and compassion. Truth and compassion, they go together. In fact, Uh, When we talk about love, I believe it's the motivation behind our actions, or it should be. I'll give you that again. Love should be the motivation behind the actions of what we do. We should do things for others because we love them, whether or not they appreciate what we do. Even when we saw last week that some things are not easy and they have to be done. And they're difficult to do, but we must do them because we love someone else more than they realize. Jesus Christ going to the cross is an example of that. Okay, so, But we are to be motivated by love in what we do. But what does it look like in a practical sense? Fine, Jesus Christ tells them in verse 34 and 35, is that it? Is that where we end? And I told you last week, Christians just like to focus in on that, and there's a lot of confusion on this concept of love. But really, we we need to see things. You know, we need to see it demonstrated. And he did demonstrate it in washing their feet. And so they've already had that lesson from them. So he showed them that. But how else? Well, in our text, I believe there's two ways that we can learn, again, in a practical sense of how this type of love, loving as Christ loved us, is to be demonstrated. One... In being willing to follow Jesus. That's what your outline is. And the second one is of danger to us. I believe all of us. And the more prideful we are, the more self-confident we are, the more difficult it is. And that is we must guard against self-confidence, as we're going to see from this text. We need to guard against that. The first one we said is being willing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 36 and 37. Let me just pause for a second to say that Jesus frequently called people to follow him. It started with his disciples, did it not? When he was talking to his apostles and he came upon them, we see that time after time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that he would come to them and he would say, follow me. And they would leave things, such as their fishing industry, or such as Matthew with his tax collecting, And they were told to follow him. They were to follow after Christ. And so he used that in the expression of selecting even his apostles. We are told, for example, in Matthew chapter 16, are we not? To take up our cross daily and to follow him. We are to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to love as he loved, we need to be willing to follow him. If you remember with the rich young ruler in Luke, the problem was he had so many... Possessions, as it was, and when the Lord got down to the nitty gritty, he thought that he had obeyed all the commandments of God, which he had not done really from his youth up, and he thought he was self righteous. And then the Lord Jesus Christ said, Sell all you have and follow me. And what happened? He went away sad. He couldn't do that. And so, following the Lord Jesus Christ is something that he says to do over and over again. And we are told as sheep that in John chapter 10, that we've already studied, that His sheep, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, what do His sheep do? They what? Follow Him. So if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will follow Him. Wherever that is. And it is different for each one of us. It is not different in the sense of obedience to Him. But every one of our lives, while we do all have trials, the trials will be different, the circumstances will be different, For some people, it's to go to a field that's foreign. For some, it's just to be in your neighborhood and be a witness and testimony for Christ. Some, It's all different types of things that come along. But in every case, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are required to follow him wherever that would be, not where you want to go, where he would have you to go. In fact, when we come to the end of John's account, John chapter uh, 21, I believe it is, we're going to find that even Peter, who we're going to address this morning, is concerned apparently about John, what's going to happen to him. And the Lord ends by saying this, What does that matter to you? Follow thou me. And so this concept of following the Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot love him if we don't follow him. And I will say that to you Whoever profess Christ, you cannot love the Lord Jesus Christ if you're not following him. It's impossible. That's where it all starts. We have to follow him. We have to follow him for salvation. If you're here today and haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, and uh, you're trying to be religious and so forth, unless you follow the Lord Jesus Christ and you come to him for salvation, you can't have salvation and you really don't love God, though you may think you do. It's also true with sanctification. I can't live the Christian life unless I'm following him. I need to follow Christ. And I do not have love for the brethren if I'm not following Christ. If I'm not following Christ, I do I'm sorry, if I'm not following Christ, I do not love the brethren, no matter what I say. First John is filled with that. So We come to this first concept of being willing to follow. We're going to see that Peter was willing to follow him. I'm not so sure, personally, let me just say this right in the context, that Peter or any of the other disciples really grasped the command of verse 34. Well, why would I say that? The immediate context. They didn't turn around in verse 36 and ask him, How do I do that, Lord? How do I love as you have loved me? Their focus of attention, particularly as is brought out with Peter, was not on how I could show this toward the other apostles, not how I could show this toward anybody else, but it was, where are you going? And even though he had given a command just out of his mouth, he also told them before that he was going someplace, and that's what they focused in on, rather than what they should have been focused in on, and that is obedience to my command to follow me, to love others as I have loved you. But they were concerned about his going away. In fact, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 16 for a second? Keep your finger here. Matthew 16. They did not want Jesus Christ to die. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 23, just pick it up there. From that time, Jesus began, watch this, to show who? What does it say? His disciples, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and what? Be killed and be raised up the third day. Now notice who it is. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And notice how calmly the Lord responds to him. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Why? You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests but man's. Very well put. See, they were trying to prevent him from going to the cross. And that's really the focus, first of all, here. It's no, where are you going? Our concern is we want you here. And by the way, while it's saying it was a stumbling block... It is absolutely necessary for Christ to die. There is no salvation if Christ doesn't go to the cross. And they couldn't see that as well. The cross of Jesus Christ is absolutely necessary. There is no salvation in anyone else but apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only way, the only truth. There is no religion, there is no church, there is no person, there is no relative, there is no religious person that can get you into heaven. The cross of Jesus Christ was absolutely necessary because the wages of sin is death. And all of us are sinners and have come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son. Why? To be the propitiation. We just read it in John, 1 John. He was to be the mercy seat to satisfy the righteous judgment of God. And it's found at the cross of Calvary. And they were going to try to prevent him from getting there. They didn't want him to go away. They didn't want him to die. That's why he was so strong in rebuking him and saying it's a stumbling block. Get thee behind me. You're not thinking you haven't got the mind of God. We need to have the mind of God if we're going to love the way God wants us to love him. And so his he had compassion, but it was misdirected in a sense with Peter. But I want you to go back to John now, chapter 13. Because he is willing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, because he says so. He was concerned about him going away, but he was willing to follow him. I first of all want to point out a difference in this to what the Lord said to his to the Pharisees. Would you look with me to John chapter seven for a second? John chapter seven. In John chapter seven, remember this, verse thirty four. Who's he talking to? Verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering. And the Pharisees, that's who it's talking about in verse 32. Verse 34. You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. He said to the Pharisees. Go to chapter 8, chapter 8 of the same book. Look at verse 21. again you look at the context of who he's talking to and what does he say verse 21 then he said again to them i go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin why where i am going you cannot come now look at john chapter 13 where we are there is a difference simon peter said to him lord where are you going jesus answered Where I go, you cannot follow me, what does he say? Now. But you will follow me later. It's different. With the Pharisees and Sadducees, their doom was sealed. They did not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They had not come to him for salvation. And I believe in the context, because in chapter 14, we're going to deal with that concept of the mansion in heaven and so forth. He's talking about heaven. He's going to go away. He's going to prepare a place for them. And Peter, not only in this physical life, is going to follow him. Peter will be able to follow him even to the place that God's preparing for him. That is in heaven. Pharisees and Sadducees will not be able to follow him there. But Peter was ready to respond. Peter will follow him later, verse 36. Not only, as I said, in death, but also in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter's willing. He openly expresses his love in verse 37. Notice it. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? Notice what he says. I will lay down my life for you. Peter was ready. That's a good start. I'd like to challenge us for a second right there. Peter was not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many are ashamed to even talk about the gospel? How we, neighbors, friends, we're afraid of what they're going to think of us. Shouldn't be. He had no hesitation. Even if it was to death, that's what he said. I'll lay down my life right now. He says, he was willing to die with Christ, even to that point, willing to go wherever he wanted. Peter to go. Can you say that, as a Christian? Can you say I'm willing to go wherever Christ would have me to go? I wonder how many express salvation in Jesus Christ, but are not willing to follow him in trials. We want out. Not willing to follow him when hardship comes or suffering. And it will eventually come. You know, we just prayed for a godly man this morning, Myron Maddox. Served the Lord so faithfully in so many foreign fields and on this soil as well. Loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Trials came. He's facing trials right now. He's willing to go into all of those. And we're not always willing. We have the opposition of will, the, the world. We have the opposition of sometimes relatives. We have the opposition of peer pressure. And we give into that rather than following Christ. This is a good beginning. And I think it's the first thing that we need to recognize. If I'm going to love others as Christ has loved me, I need to be willing to follow Christ wherever he will go because that's his example and that is a good start however we're going to quickly learn that Peter's love was not what it really should have been not as Christ loved it was trying to do things in his own power and self confidence and we need to guard against that let's concentrate on verse 38 Jesus answered will you lay down your life me truly truly i say to you a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times how devastating i think to understand the magnitude of what peter's saying here when peter said i lay down my life i want you to turn to the other three passages just one verse in each one go with me to matthew 26 i want you to really get the picture here matthew 26 In Matthew 26, one verse, verse 33. Because I'm going to talk about self-confidence, self-reliance. And to understand the strength of the boast that he was having here, look at verse 33. In verse 33, here's what he says. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, watch how confident he is. I will never fall away. It's pretty strong. If everyone else falls away, I will never fall away. Go with me to Mark 14. Gives you the whole picture here. Mark 14. Verse 31. But Peter kept saying... Kept saying, insistingly, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. That's pretty strong. He's pretty confident. And it's clear. If I've got to die physically, it doesn't matter. If everyone in the room deserts you, I will never do it. It had such an effect on them that look at the rest of verse 21. And they all were saying the same thing also. Where did they get that? From Peter. They all started to do it. That's how powerful it was. One more text. Go to Luke 22. Luke 22. And look at verse 33. Luke 22, 33. Verse 33. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to one other thing added here prison and the death. Didn't matter. He'd go to prison, he'd go to death. He would do it if no one else did. So when we're looking at this passage in John and you put it all together, he was very vocal and very firm in saying, I will lay down my life, I will die. I will go to prison, and if everybody else deserts you, that's how much I love you, and that's what I will do. That is an absolute picture of self-confidence, and it's got nothing to do with the plan of God. We can't rely on it. The plan of God included the cross. The plan of Satan was to sift Peter as sin. He thought he was confident. He thought he could do it on his own. He actually fell into the category, I won't turn there, Proverbs 28, 26. He says, and he's called a fool. A fool relies on himself and on his own thinking. And we cannot, why is this an example of loving others as Christ has loved us? We cannot do the work of God in our own power. We could not provide salvation for ourselves. And there are too many Christians that are self-confident because of what they can do. Let me tell you something. Any gift that you have spiritually is because God gave it to you. It's not because of your natural talents. Any ability for you to accomplish anything for Christ is only because of the Holy Spirit that's been given to you. It is not because of who we are. And yet we are basically self-confident people. And the more aggressive, if you're like I am, and people know me well. If you're aggressive, if, if you're competitive. And that's, there's a good part to that, by the way. Paul and Peter were very competitive. But it can also lend to think of self-confidence. And when you think you're doing what God wants you to do, you're relying on self rather than relying on Him. And that's what Peter found himself doing. Total self confidence. It doesn't matter if everybody else deserts you. I know myself. He didn't know himself as well as he thought he did. And when it comes to the work of God, we need to realize that we can put absolutely no confidence in the flesh. None. Turn with me to two passages. Go with me to Galatians chapter 3. How do we do the work of God? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we come to salvation? By God working in our life to begin with. And in Galatians chapter 3, just look at verses 1 to 5. Now, these two texts I'm going to turn to are in the concept of salvation as as far as being by grace and not by works. But I still want you to get the principle. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, look at it. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? before whose eyes Jesus Christ, he's talking to believers, was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? The answer was no. Or by the hearing of faith? Yes. Watch this. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit... Are you now being perfected or made perfect? Or are you now maturing? Are you doing the work of God by application by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it, ha- it was in vain? So then, does he, not, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And the answer was by faith even in the works that would be performed. We begin by faith. We begin by grace. We are to progress. We are to mature the same way. The other text is Philippians. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. A very familiar text to you. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 3. This is, again, the Apostle Paul. It says, For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put, what? No confidence in the flesh. None. And then he goes on with his list. Although I myself may be confident even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as of the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, who could have more zeal than him? He persecuted the church. Righteousness, which is of the law, found blameless. Verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, those I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now that is dealing with salvation, but I want you to see that. Whatever it is, by the way, let me give you that. Whatever it is that you're relying on, Will not provide salvation. It doesn't matter what your genealogy is. It doesn't matter what your religious life has been like. It doesn't matter how many prayers you said. The only thing that provides salvation is Jesus Christ. And Paul knew it. If anyone wanted, could boast about their life being lined up religiously with everything being done right, it was Paul. And he says, "I counted all, but lost." Why? There's no confidence in the flesh. But he goes on in that text. By the way, just jump down to verse 10 and says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained. He's talking about even maturity. And what I'm also saying to you is we can have no confidence in the flesh. What we find in John chapter 13, after Christ said, love as I have loved you, is a person, in fact, one of his own apostles, who truly did love him who truly was willing to follow him, and that was good, even to the death, but missed the point in that I can do this on my own. And you cannot love others as Christ has loved you in your own power. In fact, in verse 38, back in John chapter 13, he said, before a rooster will crow, you'll deny me three times. And you know very well that Peter failed miserably. Miserably. He denied the Lord three times. Wanted nothing to do with him. What led to the failure of Peter? The scriptures reveal it to us. I'm going to tell you what it is, and I'll give you a reference rather than taking the time. Number one, it was his pride and self-confidence that we got right here. I can do this. A good measure in your own Christian life is this. When you believe the Lord's leading in something, watch how many times you put the word I in it. I'm saying that as a pastor from experience. Oftentimes people will come and ask, and they meet with me and pray about something, and, and here's what I get. I'm going to do this. I'm going here. I'm doing this. God is going to do this, very rarely comes out. But it's I, it's I, it's I. You can't do the work of God in that state. Just as salvation began, he was self-confident. I will never deny you, Peter, 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 Peter. You don't know yourself. Second, the other part that caused failure was lack of alertness. And the third is lack of prayer. How do I know that? I won't turn there, but Matthew 26. After he had talked and went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he takes his disciples. Then he takes Peter with him. And he says to Peter, watch and pray. And it was right after that, shortly after that, that he's going to deny him. Peter had a lot of self-confidence. He was not alert. Why do we need to be alert? First Peter Chapter 5 tells us, because the devil is like a roaring lion looking around seeking whom he may devour. He desires to destroy our testimony. He desires to devour us. And if we're not alert, if somebody walks through Africa where lions are and so forth, and there's a hungry lion, and he's not alert, he's probably going to become supper. And we walk around our Christian life totally with our heads in the ground sometimes. We're not reading the Word of God. We're not memorizing Scripture. We're not praying. We're not spending time with the people of God. And then we wonder why we fall. We need to be alert. We need to be in prayer. Good intentions, boasting, overconfidence... And pride will fail every time, even as a Christian. Every time. When we boast in ourselves, when we have good intentions, when we're overconfident and we don't follow the things of God the way God wants us to, we will fail. How in the world is that demonstrating love to us? Let me give you some encouragement as we wind it down. Take another look at John chapter 13. Look at verse 38. Jesus answers, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. All he did was state to Peter that he would be a failure. Did he rebuke Peter? No, he didn't. Did he love Peter? Yes. One of the most ironic things, in my personal opinion, of this text is that in verse 37, Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. But what happened in reality in verse 38 is Jesus Christ compassionately is saying, Peter... You won't lay down your life for me. I will lay down my life for you. That's the love of Christ. He didn't forsake Peter. He told him what was going to happen. He showed him that if you're going to love others as I have loved you, you will have no confidence in your flesh. And I will show you what it's like. Even though you will deny me, Peter... I will still love you because Jesus Christ was going to still lay down his life for Peter. You ever wanted to understand Romans chapter 8? Go there right now. It's right here in this text. Romans chapter 8. Application to you and me. Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God, the one who justifies? No. The one who died? No. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, none of it. But in all these things, verse 37, we are overwhelming conquerors through Christ who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, Peter, nothing will separate you from my love. You say you will lay down your life for me. No, Peter, I will lay down my life for you. And neither life nor death, angels, principalities, things to come, things present, height, depth, No created being will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if that doesn't encourage you, fellow Christian, nothing will. Jesus Christ was demonstrating again his love. Peter, I just told you, love as I have loved. How do I love you now? You're saying you'll lay down your life. Peter, you're going to deny me, but I'm going to love you anyway. I will lay down my life for you we fail god time and time again fellow christian don't stick your head in the sand don't browbeat yourself i am not excusing sin but even in the christian walk so many christians fail in their walk because they stick their head in the sand and browbeat themselves when they fail what you need to start doing is getting your eyes off yourself and your self-confidence and you failed yourself put your eyes on god and realize that christ will never fail us he's empowered us to have victory And confess your sin and move on and get your eyes back on the Lord. I read something rather interesting. might not seem like it fits the text, but it was written. Some of you may have read it, and if you have, you'll know who wrote it. I'm not going to mention the name, but it was a missionary, and it was a missionary letter that I read this week, and here's what the person said, and I'm going to quote it. God created this world just fine without me, and not only that, but he keeps it in existence without me too. This is a missionary. And when I'm gone, he's able to keep it going without me. And this missionary was sharing that because it helped this missionary, who happened to be a female, to get back into focus what God was doing in her life. So focused on self we can get, that we think that God needs us. No, listen, God wants to use us. He doesn't need us. He's chosen to use us. And that's a privilege. And Peter, in spite of your denying me, I'm still going to use you. Because at the end of it, the Lord's going to demonstrate his love again. Because even after Peter's failure, is he not going to go to Peter and say, do you love me? Yeah. Feed my sheep. He's not going to say, you love me? Then why did you deny me? That's what we would do. He said, do you love me? Oh, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. You love me, Peter? Go on and love as I have loved you. That's what he's looking for. True love that loves as Christ would have us to love is one that is obediently and humbly serving him. That's what he was looking for, Peter. Peter had good intentions. He wanted to follow him. That's good. But also he was relying in the following of him in self-confidence. That's not good. We need to rely on Christ. We need to serve others as Christ has served us, who even died in the place of Peter when Peter would deny him. Give me one last thought. I wonder, this is only Pastor Dan's thinking, so don't take it to the bank, but I couldn't help think with what we have read in our context in verses 21 to 38, where none of the disciples, not a one of them, suspected Judas Iscariot, I wonder if after this happened that the disciples didn't think that Peter was the betrayer. Put it in its context. They didn't know why Judas left. He just says to them, love as I've loved you. Peter says, I'm willing to die. And in front of them all, he says, Peter... You will deny me three times. I know if I was there, I would have said, Wow, it's Peter. Imagine how devastating he might have felt. But how loving the love of Jesus Christ really is. Peter wasn't the one. Peter would deny him, but Peter would be repentant. And Christ's love never stopped at Peter's failure. whole whole different situation. Why? because Peter had come to Christ. We have a lot to be thankful for. If you're a fellow Christian today, you ought to be thankful that not only has Jesus Christ saved you, but he's given you the indwelling Holy Spirit. And as you serve him, he's given you the power to serve him in his power, not in yourself. And if you haven't come to Christ, and you really want a thanksgiving that's going to be worthy, you need to realize what the unspeakable gift of God is, and that is salvation. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Peter didn't deserve Christ's love. I didn't deserve Christ's love. You didn't deserve Christ's love. But God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Listen carefully. That whosoever believeth in him, that's faith, puts their faith in the one that could satisfy the righteousness of God, would have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life our desire is for you to trust in him Peter would be used in a magnificent way as I close think about it even though he would fail Christ he would learn from this lesson that this was not the way to love Christ the way to love as Christ had loved us was Peter be obedient be submissive and later on a Pentecost Peter will be bold in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because God had done a work in his heart. Peter would bring the message to the Samaritans. Peter would bring the message to Cornelius. By God's grace, this man was going to be used in a tremendous way. You see, as a fellow believer, even when we fail and rely on self-confidence, we don't have victory, but God doesn't forsake us. God still wants to use us for his honor and his glory. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you for your compassion that's seen, even in addressing Peter, knowing that he would deny you. Father, you so lovingly and compassionately not only laid down your life for him, but Father, cared for him in the way you spoke to him. I thank you and praise you for so great salvation. I thank you and praise you that when we are to love others as you have loved us, It involves following you. But, Father, it does not involve self-confidence. Too often we know what we can do and we rely on our own strength. God, forgive us for that. Help us, Father, to rely on your strength. We thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit, as we'll be learning in chapters 14 through 16, that will enable us to do the work of God in the power of God. Father, help us to yield. Help us to get out of the way. Help us to obey you, that, Father, you might get all the honor and glory. And in this time of thanksgiving, help us in everything. Right in this auditorium, we know that there are people that are facing difficulties, trials, tribulations. But, Father, we know that even that's in your love, so that we can grow, grow more in likeness to Christ. Give us the, res- the strength and encouragement to rely on you, not to rely on our own strength. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.